Welcome to the Brookie and Burjo podcast and welcome to Darren Burgess. G'day Brookie. How are you I'm good, I'm good. And uh, we've got a very special guest today. Would you like to introduce him? Yeah, certainly. It's a, it's a name that's been around, uh, one of the few people to have um, worked in a whole bunch of different professional sports. Uh, in fact, I can't think of anyone else who's had the journey that Adam has. So uh, welcome, Adam Beard. Hey, thanks for having us. Appreciate it. We call you an Aussie, but but uh, how long has it been since you've since you've lived here? Jeez, uh, I think going on twenty years. So we didn't expect it to last this long, if I'm honest. Uh, right. <laughs> there's a bit of a twang there. I think you know, there's a bit of an American twang. We'll uh, we'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Uh, and look, take us through your journey. I mean, because it's a fascinating one. I mean, obviously you started off in Australia. Um, tell us about you know your your early your upbringing and and uh, education and so on, and then. Take us through the journey from there. Yeah, um, always loved sport. So rugby league, we grew up in a rugby league family and cricket. Um, grew up in Sydney. We moved to Western Australia. So that was kind of my first feel for Australian rules football. Um, played one game, got sent off. That was <laughs> that was it. So tried to tried to do a rugby league tackle. Didn't last long. Probably didn't didn't have the endurance of, of the boys as well. So um, really just love sport. So uh, wanted to work in sport, just be around it. As, as a lot of us in terms of high performance, wanted to be a professional player. Um, that didn't come to fruit. So um, kind of some of my mentors, a guy called Steve Smith was um, the first cricket um, strength and conditioning coach for the Australian team. Um, and he had a lot of the, the cricketers in when we were like doing junior representative rugby league. So I thought, wow, I really want to do what Steve does. I really didn't know what it was because there wasn't like a proper title. I, I saw in America, guys like Vern Gambetta had this strength and conditioning title. We call it kind of called it a fitness coach and, and that sort of thing. So when I worked with Steve, um, uh, the Waffle, the, the WAFL level at Claremont, then went to the Dockers, and that's where I met Rick Charlesworth. And Charlesworth's probably to blame for this in terms of I don't know Rick unbelievably well, but he said to me at the time because he was leaving the Dockers, he said, what do you want to be, Adam? And I said, well, I want to be the head of fitness because that's what they were called then. It was separate, the, the medical and fitness at the stage. And he just said, look, I've played hockey, international hockey and field hockey, and you need to just get out of this sport. This sport regurgitates their own um, beliefs. <laughs> At the time, I, I kind of struggled with it. I was like, wow, he knows my name. So, um, <laughs> But I went home and, uh, and I chatted to my girlfriend, who's now my wife, um, back in like 2001. I just said, look, let's, uh, let's get out. Rick Charlesworth told me to go and seek different information outside the box and I think that's probably a good thing so um was at the WA Institute of Sport was lucky to go to the Australian Institute of Sport um English Institute with UK Athletics went to the Middle East I got an offer then to go to Wales in the UK with the the rugby um in the international team and then Cleveland Browns came knocking so we went to the States and then um, recently we're here at Chicago Cubs. I'm actually in Arizona because we have two bases, but first year I was with the major league full-time in Chicago. And then 
we decided I'd travel back and forwards because we've got a big infrastructure with the Chicago Cubs. So. That's a great story. I mean, uh, so many interesting uh, gigs along the way and, and, and so many different sports. You've certainly taken Rick Charlesworth's advice to, uh, to heart there. And uh, um, what, what sort of appeals to you about the different sports? I mean, is it just the, the challenge or just something a bit different? Yeah, I, look, when I, when I left Fremantle, it was always the goal to come back to work for Fremantle. I always think that the Australian Rules football boys are probably at the forefront and you see a lot of the, the practitioners in NBA, uh, soccer or football, you know, NFL, all around the world. So I, I wanted to come back and, and kind of bring some new ideas and, and hopefully be as good as some of the guys at the time because, you know, a lot of the guys were really, really good and I thought, well, the only way I can do this is, is what Charles West said, is get out there and learn new things. It's interesting, I asked Charles Worth at a Leaders in Performance if he remembers me and he, he said, oh, look, I can't remember you saying that. I was disgruntled. I wanted to leave at the time. I was like, that had a pretty big impact on me, mate. You know, so. Uh, fascinating. All yours, Burjo. And, and I guess one of the things, if I, if I take you to your current role, Adam, the, the setup that you mentioned, uh, which, which I guess a lot of us here in Australia don't really understand too well, where you're based in Arizona, uh, but but you're obviously working for for a team in Chicago. How does that work, and and what are the advantages of that? Yeah, there's, there's the disadvantages of they just work me all year, so um, it never ends the, the year. But the advantage, so uh, I'm the first high performance director that that the Cubs have had. There's a couple in in the MLB. When I went to the NFL, I was the first. Um, but realistically, the, the difference between, I guess, the the baseball and NFL and NBA is we really have a big theater teams underneath. So we have AAA, AA, high A, low A. We have two teams in the Dominican Republic and two teams here in Arizona. And it's almost like in Arizona, we are the academy. So... Uh, we do the rehabs of, of the major league players. So if anyone's over like three or four weeks, they'll come to Arizona. The facilities a lot bigger, like in Chicago, Wrigley Field, um, really iconic part of um, Chicago. But they've built everything under the stadium because um, several years ago, they didn't really have very good facilities in the high performance area. The, the, the you know, the, the uh, stadium has been fantastic, but they had to kind of, build the infrastructure underneath. So my first year when I went and saw Theo Epstein, when he gave me a call, he's, he was the president of baseball at the time. And he just said, look, we need you to understand the machine in terms of the major league. And then we need to spread that out amongst the, the minor league system. So kind of went back and forwards first year in Chicago. And then it just made more sense from me in the academy and then to, to tour around very different from, from the roles that I've had, but probably a little bit more, strategic in that front office type role. And you, you, you talked about the strategic impact um, that that sort of role can have. Um, I guess what, one of the things that we try and do here is is talk less about the sort of technical and more about some of the decision-making and, and, you know, more uh, conversations that you might have to have that, that um, people 
you know, who are starting off in their careers or, or people in team sports here might not have to have. What are some of the um, more, uh, I guess, high-end strategies that you've, you've implemented or been part of there as opposed to, um, say, at, at Welsh Rugby or, or even, even with the Browns? Yeah, no, great question because it is—it's very, very different. So, when I was at the Browns, we really didn't have a big analytics team or, or research and development team. That kind of came later when Paul De Podesta um, came along to the Browns. So, it was very similar to the Welsh rugby and stuff like that. You know, you have a look at you know, what does winning look like, or what does winning, um, well, what does it take to win, and, and that sort of model. But here, it's a little bit different in terms of. You know, the draft is such a big thing. So it's like it, you can't hit and miss, you know, with a lot of your your uh, your selection. So what relates to different physical and mental qualities, um, that was probably a big thing in terms of employing strategies of, okay, so what does it take to manufacture a big leaguer rather than actually what takes to win it at the major league level? And that was... That was very different and trying to to measure a lot of the the different things that we probably hadn't done in the past. We're at a level now where the research and development, geez, they, they measure everything in, in baseball. Like it's 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 incredible. But we're getting really good relationships to some of the especially physical attributes and anthropometrics and stuff like that, that we've been able to have a look at. So um how big is the team, the, the data analytics team? It's growing all the time. I'm probably trying to think it would be 30 plus. Like I've got 44 full-timers and then I've got, you know, associated, I've got like a part-time chiropractors, um, you know, all that sort of thing, or podiatrists and different things. But 44 full-time, they'd, they'd have at least 30 full-time and then they've got a lot of others. So we have a... a an online um, infrastructure called Ivy, which you know goes after the, if you've been to Wrigley Field or, or heard about Wrigley Field, it grows the Ivy and the outfield along the, along the back fences. Um, so they've developed that, everything goes into that. And then there's, there's uh, I have to approve different levels um, for different staffs to be able to see um, different parts of that. So it's, uh, it's, it's a big analytics machine, if I'm honest. 44 people, uh, Adam. I mean, t tell us who they are. <laughs> what, what, yeah, sort of, what, what sort of professions and how do they, how do they yeah. all work together? Yeah, yeah. So normally what they do is all of the backroom staff tend to gravitate towards uh, an assistant GM. So normally you have your president of baseball ops, which is kind of like a super GM, but then you have your GM. And then you have these assistant GMs. And there's normally like two to four, depending on, on the different franchises. And then previously, like one of those uh, assistant GMs would oversee the backroom staff. So I overtook that. So I have medical. So under that, we don't have our physiotherapists. We have physical therapists, but mainly athletic trainers um, within our medical. And then we have our medical doctors, surgeons, and, and that sort of thing that we have. Um, strength and conditioning, have them, uh, nutrition, sports science, and then the psychology, mental skills. So it's, it's pretty much the five departments 
the ones that were most traditional, the athletic trainers were probably one of the first, you know, they, they were, they became the hybrid strength conditioning coaches. They split. Then you had your strength conditioning coaches, athletic trainers. And then as you guys know, it's evolved. Um, mental skills is probably a huge growing area for us. Um, realistically baseball is, is like a team of golfers. So the mental aspects is, is really high, especially in that 162 games. Um, a guy might have like, you know, a streak of five or six games that he doesn't, doesn't do well. And, and it feels like a season. So the mental aspects really, really big. Yeah, I'd love to, to touch on that if we can. And, and obviously I don't want you to give away anything that you're not allowed to, um, um, but in terms of, I guess, we've, with that diverse range of skill set amongst the staff, we'll talk about the staff initially, how do you, as sort of in charge of that, do you lean on the psychologist to try and implement a culture or a philosophy or so that everyone's sort of pulling in the same direction? Does that, does that come under the, um, under the team philosophy, the assistant GM? How does that all sort of work? Because I, I would imagine... Uh, one of the things that I've heard too much in my time is this headcount. Can't have too much headcount um, because they bring in, <laughs> you know, different things. I'm, I'm sure you've heard the same. Um, how, yeah, how do you, you pull everybody together so that they're all singing from the same uh, hymn sheet? Yeah, with difficulty. <laughs> managing <laughs> managing uh, humans is the hardest thing you can do. It, it really is. Um, when I first got here... Um, the major league team, so I toured with the major league team all year and I just wanted to have a look at the structures that we had. And it was really evident to me first off that there was a lot of corridor meetings and stuff like that, but we didn't have a lot of formal meetings. Um, so I put together the structures of, of meetings and how we would then huddle together. And one of our first ones was a daily huddle. Um, normally, it, it kind of wasn't traditional. You'd have the athletic trainer go and talk to the manager um, he'd go and talk to the front office. The strength and conditioning coach would talk. So it made sense to first off have that daily huddle where all of your different practitioners um, came together. And what I tried to do is model that and then take that to the minor league system. So we were all doing the same daily huddles. Um, we would have monthly review meetings with each department within the department. So we had a head. You have a head of, of each of these departments. So they would run these meetings with each of their departments and we'd go through the strategies, plan, do, review type thing and go through all the things that we want to achieve and then we'd come together as a group um, quarterly, so all the whole 44 and we'd go through all, all the different aspects and we would try and tackle it together. And that first year we, um, I put together a, a best practice document that, that kind of didn't exist in all the different departments and it just allowed everyone to have a playbook to, to take forward to make sure that we're all communicating. The question about the, the sports psychologist. So when, when I first got here, we had Joe Madden, who, you know, is a famous manager over here um, and, and won the World Series in 16. He had probably the forefather, Ken Revisa. It's really famous in, in the mental skills aspect. Ken, unfortunately, passed before I, I came on. But from what I know, he was a big part of driving the culture for Joe. So, you know, in, in that instance, we had that. We had two mental skills coaches when I first came on with the major league and realistically, they would just deal with players individually. It wasn't 
overly uh, pushing a culture. And that's something that, you know, Joe said to me when I, when I got there, because I'm very head coach orientated. I want to know your vision. I want to know your culture. I want to know all of these things so I can make sure that we're on the same hymn sheet. But Joe said to me very early that the front office is in charge in baseball, which was very, very different to what I had. So I had lots of great conversations with the front office and Joe to make sure that we were all, you know, uh, saying the same message as such. I think when it comes from the top, it's, it's a bit easier to do, but uh, often that might not align with um, some of the practices that you want to implement. Did you ever find that that was the case and you had to sort of rejig your thoughts on, on how things, yeah, that could be a, a rehab to a, sort of a, a conditioning philosophy to, um, yeah, anything like that? Did you ever find any sort of uh, contrast in, in what front office or the manager wanted to how you thought things should be run? Yeah, I think we all do. And I think they would have would have back and forwards. But I'm, I was very receptive in terms of I'd come from a very alpha autocratic sport in terms of the NFL. And we talked about that before I came in. So I would, you know, if things popped up, I would definitely just go on and talk to them. I knew that baseball being, you know, such a long season wasn't the time just to blow up as, as you would in football. You've got 16 or now 17 games. You have to just hit that directly straight away. Whereas in baseball, you could probably have a few more conversations until you got to, to that disagreement. There's always going to be things like, you know, return to plays is, is a huge one. Um, you know, we get, we have starting pitches, you know, they rotate on a, on a five, five day rotation. They're very, very well paid, you know, anything from, 15 to, to 30 million dollars um if they miss a start it's it's dire so the return to play numbers just had to be communicated in terms of look now we've put this quantitative measure this person's probably two starts away you know no we want them back in one start okay well i'm gonna have to do this this and this this is the risk you're happy to do that yes or no and it's i guess it was just trying to hit that real honesty of, of what experience I had, but trying to put it into a very, very traditional sport. So, I'm interested in the uh, in the pitches, uh, Adam. I mean, uh, you say it's a five day rotation. Why not a four day or a six day? I mean, is that just experience, or is there science to back that up? Why Why have they decided on a five day rotation? Um, yeah, I think it, it's it's how they operate, kind of within the thing. So everything goes around. You start. And then you have your your bullpen on – it can change from guys, but, I mean, you, you have your start, let's say. The next day they'll do a recovery or, or sometimes lower body lift and they'll just play catch. Next day they'll do an upper body or lower body and then catch. And then the next day they'll do the bullpen. So that's what, day four and then – no, day three. And then day four, like a recovery type thing, just – sharpen up and then day five they'll go so i think that they've been doing that for a long time it's very hard to change a lot of these guys in terms of um routine you know what's been working for them and and, and that sort of thing like some of the guys we had we had a starting pitcher who brought along a, a massage therapist from another country like he's from another country so had to have a massage therapist plus like a a, a um, translator so they have a lot of traditions that 
slowly you can kind of say, hey, look, this could be a little bit better. But it was more within that five-day rotation that you could start suggesting things. And we started to try and put in some things of like, what questions have you got? And it's it's very interesting, you know, like tissue quality, like, you know, the shoulder, elbow, wrist, hand is is unbelievably important to those guys. So it's like, what what can we put in there? And, and we put in some objective measures on tissue quality, um, you know, different strength measures, power measures, velocity measures, and then even just recovery or, or um, uh, aerobic kind of measures or heart rate variability measures. So some people might be a bit surprised that you actually have nutrition uh, because when you look at some of the baseballers, some of them are not exactly, uh, you know, svelte. Um, what, uh, what's happening in the nutrition world? Because I, I suspect traditionally they haven't worried too much about nutrition. Yeah, good observation. Because if you, if you actually have a look at like Babe Ruth, you know, probably the most famous, um, you know, baseballer of all time. Yeah, he was, he was not in great shape, but geez, he was a good player. So um, it's, it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing education with, with a lot of the players. It's trying to fight and you're trying to put the analogies to them of like, what's your best fighting weight? And now we're putting some of their different metrics like um, – exit velocity in terms of hitting, you know, that hitting velocity coming off the bat, that's really important to, to those guys. So what is your best weight for that? And trying to educate them. Um, 162 days, if, if I'm honest, in 183 days um, is very hard to keep them on perfect nutrition. You know, there is some guys that are just, you know, a Wilson Contreras is, is our starting catcher. Really, really good, like phenomenal. And then other guys have, you know, they need to have their little bit of blowouts and, and different things. It's just trying to educate them. We had my first year, we had a part-time nutritionist um, at the major league, Dawn Blanta Jackson. She's on uh, Good Morning America, um, celebrity. But, wow, she's phenomenal, like really, really good, probably one of the best that I've worked with here in the States. Um, but now we've got a full-time and an intern at the, at the major league and then also chef. Um, we have a lot of diversity within our team as well. So, you know, we have a lot of the Latin Americans um, who eat very, very different to, to a lot of the um, Americans as well. So um, it's trying to find that happy medium and, and trying to make sure that we've got everything for everybody. But, yeah, it's an ongoing development, if I'm honest. So. Virgo? And what's the um, – if you could take something from – baseball into say the NFL or, or even the AFL or, or perhaps domestic rugby in Europe, what, what would you take? What are the things that you've learned from there? And, and I'm shamelessly trying to steal something that you've, you've seen. Um, so uh, yeah, what, what would you take? Like? It's nice all having something and it, it, you know, it's not under the one roof, but you know what I mean? Like that one franchise. So, we all know player development, player development goals um, is a big one for us. So you model what you want a player to look like at the major league and then you've got every practitioner down. And, you know, they've done it really well in baseball in coaching and, uh, you know, research and development, but probably not in high performance. And that's probably where I came in. They saw the fit. They were like, okay, this, is, this needs to align because our – preparation training and and physical and mental is probably not where we want it to be so 
that's probably the, the the big thing is is having this holistic player development plan, but really looking for the future in terms of you know understanding the skill acquisition and and development and how we want to change a picture and where he needs to go and and that sort of thing. That's probably the the big thing that I've learned from baseball. And I guess in, as part of your role, um, certainly your current one, but as well as at Cleveland and, and probably still at Wales, you had to hire and fire a lot of people. Um, what what can people do uh, in order to uh, to get your attention in a job uh, application process? What can they, um, how can they make their application stand out? And then perhaps, and, and you and I have had this conversation offline a few times, what, what can people do in that what are the steps that you take um, regardless of the application to find out about uh, people and their abilities and their, their, um, their character? Yeah. Um, really different. When I got, got to the States, it was very, very different from what I'd had in Australia and especially um, the United Kingdom in terms of it's almost like, like for instance, Wales, you know, we'd have to go through a proper uh, process, HR process and, and different things. And, and you kind of have a look at, and you've got to make sure that you hit criteria and, and stuff like that. And then no one would ring you about someone else unless that you're interviewing them where in the States, if someone knows that I've got a position going and it can be at my lowest level or top level, suddenly I'll get emails and phone calls from people I've never heard of in my life. Just, Hey, I really want to just come in and, put uh, a good word in for so-and-so and I'm like okay what position is he looking at this and and you you just get bombarded and it was that was it took me by surprise because I was like these these is this guy getting all these people to lobby for him you know like it, it's almost like the opposite of what you want but I get it now that's what the states is, is like so um, I would say I really like when someone, tries to do something a little bit different or they've researched what they can do for you. And, and I know at the lower yes. level, sometimes you can't go in and say, Hey, I'm, I'm going to help you with this high level thing. Cause they may not have the experience, but the majority that I get with, look, um, I need this for my degree or my next level is this, or I would really like this. And I'm like, I'm actually buying, you know, I need you to sell you. And, you know, we want the best people on the bus. So I, I would just like someone just going, look, I've got the biggest work ethic that, that you'll ever see. I have this or have this interest that, that may help. But I, I kind of get a cold call and I struggle with that. I'm like, you know, when when we were getting into to the industry, you'd have to write a letter, you know. So I, I remember Ashley Jones um, he was at Manly and, and rugby league and he, he hand wrote a letter back to me, you know, like, but obviously I struck a chord in terms of not just saying, Hey, I need this. So I'd, I'd rather kind of the opposite way of like, what can you do for me? And then I want that for people, you know? And you, and you have a, a choice between two S and C's, uh, one's from the UK and one's from the States. Um, what, what, 
delineates the two other than, and it might well be that you, you just say, well, somebody who's demonstrated that they can show what they can do for you. Is there anything else, any other um, yeah, steps that you might take or things that people can do to, to shine a light on themselves? Yeah, I think it goes both ways. Like I interviewed a couple of college strength coaches when I was at Wales for, for one of my national national jobs at the time. And they struggled with knowing the language and culture. And they just didn't even look it up of, of the rugby culture or what we were doing or what we were looking at. And I think you can get online and kind of have a look or talk to people. And it's the same with with people from Australia or the UK and stuff like that coming to the States is they want to impart what they know rather than actually understand what the performance gap is. And then I think that goes a long way for both of those. Um, I said to my head strength coach uh, recently, and I'm really big into influence. It's huge in, in our sport to influence players. When I first came, hardly any of the major league players were doing our program because it's, it's, it's voluntary. Um, and we've kind of gone into the 90%. And I said to him, I said, look, all of your professional development is rallied around becoming much better at a strength conditioning coach or the skill aspect of the strength conditioning coach. And I said, if I'm honest, and I'm going to tell you really, really honest, is if I have to choose between the best strength conditioning coach skills-wise in the world and a poor um, coach who, who can't influence or the opposite, a pretty good strength conditioning coach and very good influence, I'll take the second always. You know, I just think that intentional communication and intent – of understanding what the athlete or what the what the uh, team needs or the coach needs, it, it needs to be pushed a lot more with our practitioners. So I, I, yeah, I have really haven't got a yeah I haven't got a I'd rather that or that because I think the American strength coaches become much more towards a fitness coach as well. You know, when I first got here, I thought, oh, wow, just the weight room, and now. The guys are really out of the weight room. They're, they're really pushing conditioning, speed, and, and stuff like that. And you'll probably get some of the, the leaders around the world here now where you probably wouldn't have seen that prior. So, Adam, as far as you talk about influencing, I mean, is that is that just something someone has as a natural attribute or is it something that you can learn how to how to influence players? Great question. I, um, I employ, I'm kind of obsessed about it in this sport because I don't like when – you know, when I first came, we had a starting pitcher, 20-something million dollars, wasn't doing our strength finishing program. He got injured. The president said to me, what's going on? You know, it's just not on. <laughs> I said to him, he's not doing our program. Like, well, what do you want me to do? And uh, from there, I became, like, I didn't like that answer that I gave the president because it easily is a cop-out. You know, I could blame him. Hey, your sport, traditionally, they don't do their our program, but that's what I'm employed to do. So, um I think I'm a pretty good influencer, but I can always get better. And I've read a lot of stuff. We've actually, this year, we employed a group. Um, they're an influential group. Uh, they're called influ an influential group. So they, they map out how to influence. And we were the first sport that they'd ever dealt with because I deal with, like, sales and different things. And I just thought that this was a really big thing for me of, like, mapping out you know, our big players, how to influence and making sure that we're in a good position because 
you know, I, I find it a cop out when people say, well, we'll develop a relationship in one or two years. Like, can you imagine saying that in sales? Like, it just doesn't exist. You need to expedite these things. So we got a group on to, to assist us and, and some of our practitioners who weren't very natural with it did it, followed it through, and they got better and better. And us as a group, we're exceptional compared to where we were. And what what were the lessons that you learned from that from the influencer group? Yeah, um, they have a lot of different strategies in terms of mapping things out. But just first off, we would just you know, like go through like one of our big players, so you know Latin American player. Okay, who's the biggest influencer of him? So we would map out. Um, it might be a coach, it might be a front office, it might be a couple of different players. So we'd have those. And then we would go to, okay, so what are those things that have attracted that player to those people? So things like, you know, is it family? Is it culture? Is it food? Is it respect? Because they've been a former player, all these different things. And then who um, that player got along with with us what are the things that motivate him? Is it money? Is it family? All that sort of stuff. So we broke it right down. And then they taught us like some of the questions and strategies on how to get into um, conversations. And, and and eventually we were all working as a team. So it, every conversation was intentional. And, and you know, we, we really just had to do that to, to get some of the buy-in from these players because, you know, sometimes – players wouldn't wouldn't engage with us you know like some of the, some parts of our clubhouse you could kind of deviate and and not go past the strength and conditioning facility for instance you know you must find Darren you and I'll bring you in I mean you know that's I think that's one of your great talents uh, is as an influencer and getting you know it's all very well to have the best programs in the world but you've actually got to get people on board to uh, to sell it so what strategies do you you know do you use to try and sell your program uh, to, uh, I think Adam answered it really, really well. Um, uh, I have brought in the help of the sort of the resident psychologists um, to talk about how we can, um, how can we influence both the coaches and the players because you need to make sure the coaches are brought into what you're trying to do as well. Um, so I think experience um, helps, but I, I love the idea of bringing in a, a group to assist with that. And certainly I've used a couple of people in the past um, to, to help me with that because um, yeah, it's, it's absolutely key. And in fact, on that, on that topic, you know, we've got a, a guy who you worked with, I believe in Sam Dodge uh, and he's been yeah. with us for, for only a month and he knew nothing. And I mean, nothing about AFL yet um, we've brought him in here and his ability to, to get the players, um, to buy into the program that he's selling has been unbelievable. Just through his way, his mannerisms, his communication, his energy, his enthusiasm, work ethic, all those things. And players see that. But, uh, yeah, I like the the idea of taking it to the next level to bring people in, for sure. Yeah. To, it's, to, to manage up and down. Absolutely. Uh, no doubt. Um, and, uh, you know, things like what, what you've – um, describe with dodge you know what I mean like just it's contagious you know what I mean? like the the enthusiasm and stuff like it's contagious but same with complaining and you know sitting back like that that's contagious as well yeah so we kind of look at that I uh I really like the book Black Swan 
with um, Chris Foss. So he was a he was the FBI negotiator. Something that kind of I got onto and went, okay, because that's what we're doing. We're, essentially, we're negotiating, you know, our point of view. And you know, I try and go in there. I know that I've got a bias. We all have bias, but I, I try and go in there and 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 influence through that kind of thing. I thought that was a fantastic book in terms of if you haven't read that on influencing. Yeah, nice. Um, now, uh, as we're coming towards the end, I'd love to um, fire a couple of questions that are probably unrelated. But what, at the moment, what frustrates you about the performance industry? Don't be shy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, I especially look in Oz and you've just got like titles everyone's just wants a title Virgo. it's just you know I'm, I'm a high performance manager I'm, I'm one of one strength conditioning coach like I love strength conditioning coaches like please let's just call us a strength conditioning coach or a fitness coach or like be happy with where you are in where you are and you know I I've always been proud of that of wherever I am I'm proud of what they give me and and titles I struggle with that like and you know a physiotherapist wouldn't have that or, or you know, the different different no, disciplines exactly. don't have that. But but we do. And then all, it's just all made up, you know. So I struggle with that. Yeah, I often check the invites in LinkedIn and you see, you know, high performance coach of whatever. And I might be derogatory to a club or an organisation, but it's, a you know, a team that trains once a week. Um, and so, yeah, I, th I think I think head fitness coach is just fine. Um what about what excites you about the industry going forward? Uh, the holistic nature and then just, I guess, what we're doing now. Like, it's so much more access to podcasts. Um, Twitter, I love Twitter in terms of the research. People just share so much. Look, there's a negativity and stuff like you, like I just mute people or, or just get off. Like, uh, that's your choice. I just don't jump into that. But I think those avenues are really cool. You know, like Instagram, you can watch a guy take someone through a speed session and, and different things. I think that's really cool. And then I guess the education piece, and then I think that just needs to be tied into to, to the titles. You know, when I when I thought, okay, if I'm going to be anywhere close to the middle or, or trying to push to, to be a pretty good practitioner, like Vern Gambetter and, and guys like that had masters. So, and now... You know, guys have got PhDs and stuff like that. So everything's pushing. Um, what I am really worried about, though, is Australian sport. And I, I talked to um, a few people on this. Um, the CBA, you know, like the, the CBA, like the, the player um, associations in the US are very, very powerful. So you don't get to do anything in the off-seasons and different things, and they're limiting you know, their ability to prepare and stuff like that. And Australia seems to be copying that model. I just don't think it's Australia. They just, the players don't earn that kind of salary that, you know, the more salary sometimes I think they just say no because of the salary, not because it's it's the right thing. So I worry about that. Like I think we're going to see a lot more injuries and a lot more pressure on these, you know, high performance, fitness, strength finishing, physio, medical to, to do something that is very hard to do. And we haven't got the infrastructure in Australia and the UK of these private uh, organisations or, you know, like a um, Exos or athlete performance and stuff like that. So 
we're almost like setting ourselves up to fall. I agree. Uh, uh, yeah, look, it's been awesome to have you on. Um, I like the fact that uh, by and large, you you are not overly active online and yet you've carved out this this incredible career um, and, and are continued, continuing to carve out um, without the sort of uh, some of the, as you said, negative, I guess, um, things that can happen through through trying to develop an online presence. Um, and yeah, so I take my hat off in that regard and, and, uh, yeah, it's been awesome to catch up with you and I hope we continue our offline conversations because you've certainly been a big help to me in in a few decisions, particularly over the last couple of years, mate. So, uh, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Hey, and, vice uh, versa. Yeah, thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, appreciate you guys having me. Um, it was cool, cool chat and yeah, definitely we'll continue that, mate. Thanks, Adam. Yeah, it's been great. We're really, uh, I found it really interesting, I must admit, the, uh, especially the sort of importance of influencing. I think that's just a lesson that we can, whatever your profession in, in sport is, you know, whether it's doctor, physio, fitness or whatever, it's just so, uh, such an important lesson. And uh, yeah, thanks for sharing that with us. And uh, yeah, all the best. Uh, you know, hopefully we'll see you back in Australia sometime. Sounds good. Thanks very much. Really appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, Adam. Cheers, Adam. Thanks, Cheers, guys. guys.